Welcome back and thank you for listening to our October episode of the JOS Unplugged podcast, the official podcast of the Yellow Journal from the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. I'm your host, Austin Beeson. I'm the past chair of the resident assembly and currently a fifth year resident at Southern Illinois University in Springfield, Illinois. In this episode, we'll cover two great articles from the October releases. The first will be a research article titled Comparison of Reverse and Anatomic Total Shoulder Arthroplasty in Patients with an Intact Rotator Cuff and No Previous Surgery, authored by a multi-center group. This is a really well-done study looking to compare anatomic to reverse total shoulder arthroplasty on a level playing field by carefully matching cohorts to make a fair comparison. The second article will be the AAOS Clinical Practice Guideline Summary on the Management of Hip Fractures in Older Adults. This updated CPG has some important updates from the previous report last published in 2014 in regard to cementing, choice of total hip arthroplasty versus hemiarthroplasty, and TXA use, among others. The recommendations are based on a comprehensive literature review and are beneficial for anyone treating hip fractures. With that said, let's jump right in. The first summary is of a research article titled, Comparison of Reverse and Anatomic Total Shoulder Arthroplasty in Patients with an Intact Rotator Cuff and No Previous Surgery. This was a multi-center study with authors from the Medical University of South Carolina, Mayo Clinic Jacksonville, Bordeaux, France, the University of Florida, NYU. This was a really nice study that looked to compare reverse and anatomic total shoulder arthroplasty head-to-head on an even playing field. And by that, I mean they were limiting the indications for these procedures to patients with an intact rotator cuff and no previous surgery. So by way of background, anatomic and reverse total shoulder arthroplasty are the standard of care for various end-stage degenerative conditions of the glenohumeral joint. Both procedures have increased in incidence, but this increase has been more dramatic for reverse total shoulder arthroplasty, especially over the period of 2011 to 2014, when it increased by 66%. In line with that, there's a large and growing list of indications for total shoulder arthroplasty, suggesting that the number of these, especially reverses, performed annually is only going to continue to increase. There are distinct differences and indications for the two designs. Currently, anatomics are used in the treatment of inflammatory arthropathies, osteonecrosis, and primary OA. However, since the FDA approval in 2003 for the treatment of rotator cuff arthropathy in older patients, reverse total shoulder arthroplasty has become the mainstay of treatment for an increasing number of indications, of which those include rotator cuff tear arthropathy, OA with significant glenoid deformity and or bone loss, proximal humerus fractures, and revision of failed shoulder arthroplasty, among others. Previous studies have shown similar improvements in range of motion and functionality postoperative when comparing anatomic to reverse total shoulder arthroplasty, and similar studies have found similar improvements in pain levels postoperatively between the two groups. This current study used a large multinational multicenter database that included patients receiving a single total shoulder arthroplasty system undergoing both anatomic or reverse total shoulder arthroplasty. And the purpose of this study is to compare the clinical and radiographic outcomes of primary anatomic total shoulder arthroplasty and primary reverse total shoulder arthroplasty in patients diagnosed with osteoarthritis with an intact rotator cuff who have had no previous surgery to the shoulder using a single platform total shoulder arthroplasty system with a minimum follow-up of two years. So all the patients included in this study underwent primary TSA for osteoarthritis with an intact cuff and had no history of previous shoulder surgery. Exclusion criteria included previous shoulder surgery, fracture, non-OA diagnosis, or follow-up less than two years. 
the procedure performed, either an anatomic or reverse total sorter arthroplasty, was decided by the surgeon. And all surgeons used a single platform total sorter arthroplasty prosthesis. There were a total of 2,296 primary reverse patients with two-year minimum follow-up. And ultimately, after exclusion criteria was applied, 370 primary reverse total shoulder arthroplasty patients with primary OA and no previous shoulder surgery remained for analysis. Conversely, there were a total of 1,692 anatomic total shoulder arthroplasty patients who met the criteria. And after exclusion criteria was applied, 1,355 patients were left to match to the study cohort of 370 primary reverses. Patients were matched for age, sex, and length of follow-up using a one-to-one nearest neighbor match method. Data collection occurred at standardized follow-up intervals, preoperative, surgical, six-month follow-up, and annually thereafter. In terms of results, there were no statistically significant differences found in comorbidities between the two groups. Of note, 36.5% of the reverse patients had an augmented base plate, whereas 13.4% of the anatomic group had an augmented glenoid. Evaluation of preoperative functional and range of motion scores for the two groups revealed that reverse patients were statistically lower in terms of functional metrics before surgery than those undergoing anatomic total shoulder arthroplasty. Preoperative range of motion scores also reflect the lower initial movement capacity seen in individuals undergoing reverse compared with anatomic patients. And although statistical differences between many of these range of motion and patient-reported scores existed, the only measures between the two groups that preoperatively exceeded the minimally clinically important difference, MCID, were active abduction and active external rotation, which was worse preoperatively in the reverse group. Postoperative shoulder function was not statistically significantly different between the two groups. Although several statistically significant differences existed, the only postoperative metric that exceeded the MCID between the two procedures was active external rotation which was greater in the anatomic group. Analysis of additional postoperative variables showed that patients undergoing an anatomic total shoulder arthroplasty had a higher percentage of adverse events compared with reverse patients. Although revisions were more common in anatomic patients, this was not statistically significant, and the study was underpowered to assess this variable. Revision indications in the anatomic patient group included four rotator cuff tears, three infections, three glenoid loosenings, and one humeral loosening. Revision indications in the reverse group included three infections, one polyliner component dissociation, and one humeral fracture. Patient satisfaction reported daily pain and differences in pain preoperative to postoperative were not statistically different between the anatomic group and the reverse group. So, at a mean of 41 months follow-up, primary anatomic total shoulder arthroplasty in reverse in patients with osteoarthritis and an intact rotator cuff with no previous shoulder surgery had largely similar clinical and radiographic outcomes. External rotation was the only measurement to exceed an established minimal clinically important difference and was greater in the anatomic patients, which may result from the shortening of the cuff muscles because of the inferior medial positioning of the humerus caused by the reverse prosthesis design. Given the similarities in clinical and radiographic outcomes, reverse total shoulder arthroplasty seems to be a reasonable alternative to anatomic total shoulder arthroplasty and the treatment of osteoarthritis with intact rotator cuff. Preoperatively, patients receiving a reverse had more limitations in range of motion than patients with the anatomic 
This difference may have influenced the surgeon's choice between an anatomic and reverse, as decreased preoperative mobility has been shown to influence surgeon's implant choice towards a reverse total shoulder arthroplasty. But despite lower preoperative measures and differences in preoperative to postoperative improvement, which may not have been clinically relevant using the MCID, these data suggest that reverse is able to provide similar clinical outcomes compared with anatomic. Although past studies have claimed that anatomic total shoulder arthroplasty may provide better outcomes than reverses, they failed to compare the two procedures in similar indications. This study directly compared two arthroplasties with similar diagnoses and is controlled for age, sex, and length of follow-up, which allows for a better head-to-head comparison of clinical outcomes. This study does have limitations, with short-term follow-up being one. Second, the multi-center structure of the study possibly incorporates differences in patient populations, surgeons, surgery centers, and rehab protocols. But to minimize this, the authors adopted standard practices at each center and implemented standardized data collection forms to measure outcomes. Given similar clinical radiologic and clinical outcomes at an average of 41 months follow-up, as well as lower rates of adverse events, reverse total shoulder arthroplasty is a reasonable choice for the treatment of osteoarthritis with an intact rotator cuff. The second article that we're going to review is the AAOS Clinical Practice Guideline Summary for the Management of Hip Fractures in Older Adults. Fragility hip fractures are a major public health problem with a notable effect on quality of life for patients and their families. This clinical practice guideline serves as current evidence-based practice guidelines for orthopedic surgeons in the management of this common fracture and is based on the systematic review of published studies examining the surgical treatment of hip fractures in adults aged 55 years and older. The lower age limit for the patient population was set at 55 years, but was also required to have a median age of 65 years. This guideline contains 16 recommendations and three options to assist orthopedic surgeons and all qualified physicians managing patients older than 55 years of age with hip fractures based on the best current available evidence. The American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons and various societies worked together to develop this CPG, which was approved by the AAOS Board of Directors in December 2021. Geriatric hip fractures are associated with excess short-term and long-term all-cause mortality in both sexes, with mortality in the first year three times higher than expected in the general geriatric population. The CPG was created based on an exhaustive literature search involving over 8,600 abstracts and more than 1,800 full-text articles for full review. Strength of recommendation was assigned based on the quality of the supporting evidence while taking into account the quality, quantity, and the trade-offs between benefits and harms of a treatment, the magnitude of a treatment's effect, and whether there were data on critical outcomes. The CPG represents an update to many of the previous recommendations published in the prior 2014 guidelines. There are several major changes or new recommendations in the updated CPG compared with the original 2014 guidance. The recommendation on surgical timing was changed to favor surgery within 48 hours to within 24 to 48 hours of hospital admission. In 2014, moderate evidence supported that hip fracture surgery within 48 hours of admission was associated with better outcomes. Since 2014, several publications support improved outcomes for surgery within 24 to 48 hours. Data from high-volume centers with dedicated hip fracture programs showed improved outcomes with surgery within 24 hours. However, the work group thought the recommendation of 24 to 48 hours was more appropriate given the variation in resources at different facilities. Ideally, the time to surgery for a hip fracture patient is as soon as safely possible 
at a given facility and with a given surgical team. The recommendation regarding the surgical approach for arthroplasty treatment has been updated as well. In 2014, moderate evidence supported higher dislocation rates with a posterior surgical approach in the treatment of displaced femoral neck fractures with arthroplasty. Since that time, evidence does not show a difference in outcomes based on the surgical approach, regardless of whether a direct anterior, lateral, or posterior approach was used. The CPG workgroup noted that there were few studies on the direct anterior approach in hip fracture care. However, current evidence does not support the superiority of one surgical approach over another. The recommendation for the use of cemented femoral stems and arthroplasty for the treatment of hip fractures in older adults was upgraded from moderate in the 2014 CPG to strong in 2021. Since 2014, additional moderate quality studies have been published on this topic and all support the use of cemented stems. Furthermore, studies showing the risk of periprosthetic fracture with the use of non-cemented stems supported the update in this recommendation. The CPG workgroup acknowledges that some data show increased surgical time and blood loss with cemented stems. However, the overall evidence supported the strong recommendation for the use of cemented stems in this population. In 2014, the strength of evidence was moderate, supporting a benefit to total hip arthroplasty in properly selected patients with stable, displaced femoral neck fractures. In 2021, the strength of evidence was strong in support of a functional benefit to total hip arthroplasty over hemiarthroplasty. However, this improved function was at the risk of increased complications. With expert consensus, the workgroup downgraded the strength of recommendation in favor of total hip arthroplasty versus hemiarthroplasty from strong to moderate, given this risk of complications. Moderate evidence in 2014 supported the use of venous thromboembolism prophylaxis in elderly hip fracture patients. In the 2021 guidelines, the strength of recommendation for the use of VTE prophylaxis is strong, while the strength of evidence for this recommendation remained moderate, committee updated the strength of recommendation based on consensus opinion. Finally, in 2014, strong evidence supported the use of an interdisciplinary care program to improve functional outcomes in those patients with mild to moderate dementia who sustained a hip fracture. Multiple high-quality publications since 2014 support the benefit of an interdisciplinary care program for all hip fracture patients to decrease complications and improve outcomes. The strength of recommendation in this current CPG is strong for the patient being cared for in an interdisciplinary care program. The CPG workgroup made three options in the 2021 guidance. Options are formed when there's little or no evidence on the topic. In patients with stable or non-displaced femoral neck fractures, hemiarthroplasty, internal fixation, or non-surgical care may be considered. In patients with pertrochanteric femur fractures, a short or long cephalomedullary nail may be considered. Finally, after surgical treatment, immediate and full weight-bearing to tolerance may be considered. Recommendations are formed when there is sufficient evidence by which to create a directional statement. Those recommendations are scored based on overall strength of evidence, being either strong, moderate, or limited. And then a consensus opinion means that expert opinion supports the guidance or guideline opinion. However, there's no available empirical evidence that meets inclusion criteria of the guidelines systematic review. So we'll go through the recommendations in this CPG. First, VTE prophylaxis should be used in hip fracture patients. Strong recommendation. Either spinal or general anesthesia is appropriate for patients with a hip fracture. Strong recommendation. Unstable femoral neck fractures, arthroplasty versus fixation, and patients with an unstable or a displaced femoral neck fracture, arthroplasty is recommended over fixation. Strong recommendation. 
In patients with unstable displaced femoral neck fractures, unipolar or bipolar hemiarthroplasty can be equally beneficial. Moderate recommendation. Unstable femoral neck fractures. In properly selected patients with unstable or displaced femoral neck fractures, there may be a functional benefit to total hip arthroplasty over hemiarthroplasty at the risk of increasing complications. Moderate recommendation. In patients undergoing arthroplasty for femoral neck fractures, the use of cemented femoral stems is recommended. Strong recommendation. In patients undergoing treatment of femoral neck fractures with hip arthroplasty, evidence does not show a favored surgical approach. Moderate recommendation. In patients with stable intertrochanteric femur fractures, the use of either a sliding hip screw or a cephalomedullary device is recommended. Strong recommendation. In patients with subtrochanteric or reverse obliquity fractures, a cephalomedullary device is recommended. Strong recommendation. Patients with unstable intertrochanteric femur fractures should be treated with a cephalomedullary device. Strong recommendation. A blood transfusion threshold of no higher than 8 grams per deciliter is suggested in asymptomatic postoperative hip fracture patients. Moderate recommendation. Multimodal Analgesia incorporating a preoperative nerve block is recommended to treat pain after hip fracture. Strong recommendation. TXA should be administered to reduce blood loss and blood transfusion in patients with hip fracture. Strong recommendation. Interdisciplinary care programs should be used in the care of hip fracture patients to decrease complications and improve outcomes. Strong recommendation. In patients with stable femoral neck fractures, hemiarthroplasty, internal fixation, or non-surgical care may be considered. Limited recommendation. In patients with pertrochanteric femur fractures, a short or long cephalomedullary nail may be considered. Limited recommendation. After surgical treatment of hip fractures, immediate full weight bearing to tolerance may be considered. Limited recommendation. Well, that's a wrap for our October episode of the JOS Unplugged podcast. Thank you all for listening in. I hope you learned something. Enjoy the issues. Keep up the good work. And until next time, be well.